0: Fielding a couple of competing questions, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. What is going to bring me the closest to my Lord? What is going to please my Savior? To make that decision, because as a pastor, let me tell you, I find a lot of the opposite happening. Not decisions to say, you know, I'm going to make decisions in my household as for me and my house, we serve the Lord, as Joshua said. I'm not so concerned about that, Pastor, because what I really want to know, I don't want to know how close I can get to Jesus, but if you can help me with this, this would be great. And the question usually is something like this. How close to sin can I get without losing my salvation?
1: This is amazing grace. Imagine a newlywed husband saying to his wife, I know we just got married, but would you mind if I still dated? To say that's a problem would be a huge understatement. Yet it illustrates an attitude some have as the bride of Christ. What's called for is clear, but what about the less clear issues? How do we address them? We'll come away with some clarity on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll find that as we continue in Romans 14.
0: Well, we learn in Romans chapter 14 that some of the divisions that happen in any church family happen between two groups of people. Paul calls them the weaker Christians and the stronger Christians. He's not developing a class system where the weaker Christians are somehow less and the stronger Christians are somehow better. That's not what he's doing. He's just simply stating a fact. He says right in verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith. Not weak in faith, but weak in the faith. He says, receive them, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Then in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. So there's two types of people. And when these two types of people do not walk in the spirit, friction happens in the church. The weaker Christian you could say that the weaker Christian has room to grow up in understanding Christian freedom and liberties. The weaker Christian, this is a Christian, a brother and sister in the Lord, but they have a great difficulty right now in their relationship with God with Christian freedom. They begin to make non-essentials essentials, the doubtful things, the gray areas, For the weaker Christian, they really don't see a lot of gray areas. For them, everything is black and white. This is the way it is. And the danger is that when that black and white attitude now begins to be imposed on other people and there's a despising going on and a hypocritical judgmentalism that flows from their lives. In its extreme, the weaker Christian becomes a legalist. Having a man-made... Set of rules and regulations that are imposed on others to measure one's spirituality, legalism. Very dangerous to have. We're not talking about issues of morality here. And I've repeated that over and over again so that we're not confused. As it comes to the character and the nature of God, as it comes to the methodology of salvation, how God saves a soul, when it comes to the deity of Christ and those types of things, black and white for sure. But as it comes to living out your Christian life, there's a lot of gray. And so for the weaker Christian, there's room to grow up in Christian liberty. The stronger Christian, well, this more mature Christian makes room for other believers in grace. Recognizing that they may not fully agree with other believers, but because it's a non-essential, we're going to make room for God to do what he needs to do in your life. The stronger Christian isn't... Well, the stronger Christian isn't always looking for restrictions, but looking for ways for Christian freedom to be exercised. And they're more mature in this area. They don't stand in judgment, even if they do strongly disagree, although that can be a danger for that stronger Christian. And in Romans chapter 14, Paul is teaching us how to deal with our Christian liberties, our freedoms. We pick up in verse 5, where we left off last time, he says, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. And you might want to mark this phrase. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. And by the way, the, the issue of day is so important. Even as it begins to rise up in our society again, we're going to spend a whole day, weekend just looking at the issue of the sabbath because it just keeps coming up on over and over again are christians bound and they need to and they have to keep the sabbath as it relates to the covenant that god made with israel and we'll answer that question the next time we're together because it just seems to be popping up over and over and over again where Here in verse 6, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. And many people aren't happy with that. They're not settled with that. And they begin to impose extra-biblical or unbiblical restrictions on believers like the Sabbath. And we'll learn that our rest is in the Lord. We have a Sabbath God But we'll get into that next time. Notice at the end of verse 6. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again. That he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. How to use Christian freedom is so vital, so important. What decisions we make, how it relates to our relationship with Jesus and then to others is so vital. Because in the church, you're going to find that some people will esteem a day higher than others, and others will esteem every day alike. Some you will find that will make very strict dietary restrictions unto the Lord, and some won't even care what they eat. There'll be diversity In the body. And that's a good thing. Diversity in the church of Jesus Christ is wonderful. I'm so glad we're not all cookie cutter Christians that all look the same way, talk the same way, do all the same things, but there's diversity in your life. Your upbringing, how you grew up, where you are now, what you're doing now, your personality, your family. All sorts of things, what gender you are, what race you are, diversity. It's so great and so wonderful. But if we're not careful, we'll begin to impose those convictions that we have on other people. And it causes divisiveness, it causes friction. He says, hey, be fully convinced in your own mind. It's okay to have convictions. But be careful when you start to impose them on others in these areas of doubtful things, of gray areas. If you choose to esteem a day which literally means to give honor, then great. Give honor to that day. But if you choose not to, you know, if you meet someone that chooses not to give honor to the day you've chosen to give honor, make room for them. Don't despise them, don't judge them. When it comes to matters of biblical importance, doctrinally, it's black and white. Moral decisions, the character, the nature of God, black and white. But in the realm of exercising your faith, living your life, things will be different depending on who you are and what level of maturity you are, whether you're a stronger or weaker believer. And we've all been there. You start out with certain convictions, and over the years, the Lord changes your mind. Or you start out with no convictions at all, and over the years, the Lord changes your mind. And there's room for all of us in the body of Christ. It's so wonderful. There's room for you and me. When it comes to matters of biblical importance, we yield to the scriptures. Sound, true doctrine, that's what teaches us. But when it comes to the gray areas, be careful. Because whether we observe the day or not, whether we choose to eat a certain way or not, we make those choices unto the Lord. That's our lives. Our lives are first and foremost Vertically right with God we're right with God and then we begin to think of our horizontal relationships how do those all play out I ask you to open to Colossians chapter 2 because I want to show you something here when it comes to days because you will meet you will come across those that will judge you in days or in diets or any of a number of things that in our society have become a big deal How a person was baptized, for example, or what music do you sing at your church? Do you stand? Do you sit? Do you have pews or on your knees? Whatever it might be, there just seems to be a wave of making little things big deal and it causes division. And so I want you to notice here in chapter 2, verse 16 of Colossians, he says, Therefore, Colossians 2, 16, he says, Therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. He says, when it comes to the shadows, referring to the Old Testament Mosaic law given to the children of Israel, they're all shadows, pointing to the substance of the coming of Jesus Christ. He fulfills these things. He now is our rest. He now has declared all things clean as you can do it, and what choices you make, you make unto the Lord wise choices, spiritual choices. And in a few moments, I'll give you a few things to consider when making those decisions. A few things to consider on how to exercise your spiritual freedom. You see, as we're walking in the Spirit, living our life in Jesus Christ, Paul says, hey, don't let people lay a heavy trip on you. Don't let them come and somehow try to rob your joy away because you're not doing things the way they want you to do them. I mean, a great example of this is with new believers. A new believer is so excited about their salvation. They're so excited about the things of God. They've responded to an invitation. They they responded to that call of repentance. And now they're saved. They're reading their Bible. They're loving God. A whole new life. And there they are at work, just enjoying life, sharing their testimony. And they meet someone that says, oh, so you're a Christian. Yep, I'm a Christian. I love God. Things are great for me. I'm a Christian. Well, how did you get saved? How did that happen? Tell me about it. And as you begin to describe it, you'll say things. Well, you know what? I was messed up, man. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't even own a Bible. And this guy, he invited me to church. And you know what? I went. I don't even know what I was doing in there. But I went into the church. I sat in the back and I listened. And I started to hear that guy teach about Jesus Christ and how God loves me. And I started to question, you mean God loves me? And as I was questioning, it seemed like the pastor was answering my questions. It seemed like I got this sense that God really did love me, but that the problem in my life was sin. And so I'm thinking, what is sin? And, you know, the pastor didn't even have to tell me what sin was because I knew what sin was in my life. I knew it. He didn't have to list it for me. I knew it. And then as he started to talk to me about this free gift of salvation, he gave an invitation. And at that point, the guy you're talking to, his eyes wide open, gave an invitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, anybody that wants to repent of their sins, if they'll just stand to their feet and pray a prayer, he said, I'd be saved. Oh, come on. You did not stand in a church, did you? Yeah, yeah. Is something wrong with that? Well, you don't understand. And he pulls out his Bible. There is no such thing as an altar call in the Bible. Oh, oh. Okay, um, altar call. Let me look that one up here. Altar call. Oh, man, you're right. I don't see altar call anywhere in the Bible. And now you're all messed up. Because in their view of God, oh, you can't get saved like that. That's not how God does it. You can't get saved by an altar call. The way you need to get saved is, and then they fill in the blanks. Oh, man, if you get saved, you got to cry. You gotta cry. I didn't cry, man, but you're making me cry right now. <laughs> you know, you get saved. You you know, you can't, you don't have anything to do with it. You just get saved. You wake up one morning and you're saved. Listen, let me just set the record straight for you. You can get saved standing up, sitting down. Eyes open, eyes closed, hands up, hands down, hands in your pockets, shoes on, shoes off. If you've got flip-flops and shorts, you can be saved. You can do cartwheels up and down the aisle and out the door to your car and be saved. You can listen to a radio broadcast, pull over your car to the side of the road, close your eyes and pray a genuine prayer of repentance, you can get saved. You can get saved by just crying out, God save me. You can get saved, well you get the point, right? But you'll meet people that want to lay a heavy trip on you. You can't get saved that way. It's almost as if they don't want you to be saved. It's almost as if they want to lay, well, what we would call some heavy legalistic trip on you. And all you're really doing is wanting to love Jesus. That's it. I know you may not have all the information, but when we all got saved, we had a lot to learn. It's not like we just had, like, millions of years of Bible study dumped into our heads. We had, oh, I'm a sinner. God wants to save me. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for my sins. I can buy it. I understand that. I'm, you know what? I'm going to follow you, God. And then the process begins of discipleship, right? Then you begin to grow. Then you begin to find your sufficiency in Jesus Christ. And somewhere along the way, you need to make a decision to be fully convinced in your own mind to trust God with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding, to acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your path. because you're going to meet people that will not be as happy as you are about your faith in Jesus Christ. See, the problem is this. Legalism, legalists, they're believers through and through. I believe that with all my heart. The only problem is, is they're miserable believers. They're miserable You know, for one thing, they're never really happy with themselves. They never really measure up. They have these unrealistic expectations they impose upon themselves instead of just walking simply with their God, loving Him and enjoying Him and allowing His Spirit to lead them. They can never really seem to keep all the lists that are developed. And that bums them out, and they start to be condemned over their lack of activity. And if they're not bummed out about themselves, they really become bummed out about you and the joy that you have in the Lord. You just love Jesus. It seems to be so carefree and loving and encouraging. And yet there are freedoms that you take that they would never take. And let me just tell you, friends, legalism is a bondage. It is a heavy burden to carry. And I pray the Lord frees you from it. The freedom that you have in Jesus Christ is wonderful and it's thrilling. Even though things may not be fully lined up for you. You may not fully understand the will of God as each day goes, but as each day unfolds, God reveals his will to you one day at a time. And so Christian freedom is wonderful. These things were just shadows. But the substance is of Christ. If you're still in Colossians 2, just pick up real quick in verse 9. This is a theme that he has mentioned many times. As you see it in verse 9, notice where he says, For in him, speaking of Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are, what does your Bible say? Complete. Did you hear that? You in Christ, you in Jesus are complete, who is the head of all principality and power. You find, and I find my sufficiency, my completeness, and my acceptance in my relationship with Jesus. It's such a wonderful place to be. Legalism is bondage. If the emphasis becomes diets... And the emphasis becomes days. We've gone off track. Because, friends, the emphasis needs to be on deity. On Jesus himself. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And now he's interceding for you, believer. Convicting you, unbeliever. And it's in him as our all in all. Oh, the Old Testament certainly has value today, but not to impose the Mosaic law upon us. Not to impose a life that says, hey, why aren't you keeping the feasts? Because I'm in Christ. Why aren't you keeping the Sabbath like we do? Because I'm in Christ. Why aren't you? And you fill in the blank. And your answer is, hey, I'm in Christ. I'm fine. I'm okay in the Lord. I'm not in sin. I'm not rebellious against God. I may not see things in the gray areas like you do, but I'm okay with the Lord. And you want to be okay with the Lord. You know that, right? That's a safe place to be. Not to use our Christian freedoms, Peter said, as a cloak for vice. Or to use our Christian freedoms as something, as an excuse to sin and just do whatever you want. Well, I'm free in Christ. No, 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 no. Not there. Because those things are black and white. But when it comes to the gray areas, you want to make a decision. If you haven't already, in your spiritual walk and in your own mind, To live as closely to Jesus Christ as you possibly can. And to have that in your mind. That's the decision making that you have now. What is going to bring me the closest to my Lord? What is going to please my Savior? To make that decision. Because as a pastor, let me tell you, I find a lot of the opposite happening. Not decisions to say, you know, I'm going to make decisions in my household as for me and my house, we serve the Lord, as Joshua said. I'm not so concerned about that, Pastor, because what I really want to know, I don't want to know how close I can get to Jesus, but if you can help me with this, this would be great. And the question is usually something like this. How close to sin can I get without losing my salvation? How close can I get to sin? Listen, like Lot, if you set your eyes towards Sodom, Guess where you're going to live? You've got a new address. Because it wasn't too long as he set his eyes toward Sodom and Gomorrah, they became a citizen of that city and became just like him. So you set your eyes on sin, even though you, I don't want to get there, I just want to get close. <laughs> what do you mean you want to get close? What happened to that zeal and passion of wanting to get close to Jesus? You want to make up your mind to be as close to Jesus as you can. And if you're taking notes, I want to give you eight questions you can ask yourself in the area of gray areas. Things that will really help you. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I won't be brought under the power of any. So Paul's very clear. We have a tremendous freedom in Christ. Again, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And so although you have tremendous freedom, not every decision is going to help you. Even though you might say, well, I made this decision because I'm free in the Lord, but it could really hurt you. And so when you're making decisions in the gray areas of life, let me give you a few questions that will really help you. You can just jot them down. The first one is, Will this help me honor God? In the decision you're about to make, is it going to help me honor God? Because if it's not, it's going to help me to dishonor God. I shouldn't do it. I should just let it go. If it's going to help me honor God, it's probably something I want to do. But if I'm going to dishonor God through this decision, even though it's not a major sinful thing, like, like this, these questions don't apply to the question of, should I sin against God? The answer is no. But when that answer is not so crystal clear and you're trying to determine how to use your Christian freedom, these are really good questions to ask. Because I'll tell you, you know, the question about sin, it's going to dishonor God. Don't go there. I mean, when the Bible says thou shalt not steal, don't steal. It's just that simple. But in the areas of gray, this is a good question to ask. Number two is what I'm about to do. Will this sanctify me? That's the biblical word or better put, will this set me apart for God? Will it set me apart from this world system to God? Because a lot of times the decisions that we see made in our lives just make us look like the world. Like, oh, where are here's three people. Which one's the Christian? I don't know. They all look worldly to me. Probably because this second question wasn't asked. If we ask this, we'll begin to say, wow, I wonder if this will set me apart. It'll make me distinct and different from the way the world does things. Number three, will this help my usefulness for the master? Will it make me usable, more usable, or make me less usable? It's a good question to ask. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but when you start to think about the things in your life, is it making you a better vessel for the Lord or an unclean vessel? More usable, less usable.
1: We'll get to that question and the remaining questions next time when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Romans on Abounding Grace. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to, and if today's study was a blessing to your life, we'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com by clicking on Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of The Third Option by Miles McPherson. In it, Pastor Miles speaks out about the racial divisions in today's world and encourages us to see people as God sees them. It contains awesome practical takeaways and exercises to help you understand the points of views of others. I think you'll be inspired and encouraged to make positive changes in our country, starting with yourself. Again, ask for a copy of The Third Option when you call today at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Tell a friend about these daily studies, and then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.